This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Everybody, welcome to Outside Looking In, the series I'm doing that includes 29 episodes, 29 interviews, wherein we get an outsider's perspective on the Raptors so that after 29 episodes, we can kind of find consensus on how they are viewed the league over. And additionally, we get to sneak in some info about the other team that this person covers, that they talk about, that they're interested in. So you as fans, after listening to the series, can be some of the most well-rounded fans in the NBA. Today, of course, Yosef of Thunder Film Room, I think you can guess that we are talking about the Thunder then. This is somebody who has paid very close attention to the Oklahoma City Thunder, i.e. ending up paying very close attention to one of Canada's favorite players, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and uh, somebody who's just done tremendous work cataloging how the Thunder find success when they do, what's interesting about that team. And Yosef, how the hell are you doing, man? doing great appreciate you having me on um it's it's weird you know like you interact with someone like over twitter for a year and then it's super cool like meeting them in a way um was a big fan obviously of you and evan's pod um but i'm just excited to talk a lot of shay um excited to dive into the raptors as well i man i really appreciate that i am so appreciative of all the x's and o's people because this is the thing about the the basketball world currently first for a consumer you're in heaven because you can just take on so many, it's, there's just so much content people put out there that's interesting, that's thoughtful, and your cataloging of the Thunder has obviously been great. So the first thing I want to talk about, because at this point, many people have heard a lot of different interpretations of the Raptors. So we're going to start with Shay. Shay Gilgis-Alexander, We're not. I'm not going to do any of the Shay to Toronto stuff on this podcast. We'll, we table that. The fan base does enough. We're just going to celebrate his game. Um, to some people, the greatest driver of all time already, inventive, snake-like, water running down a mountain, all this different kind of stuff, um, endlessly inventive as a passer. Just the broad strokes on Shea before we kind of dive down into it. His future, how high you think that ceiling is. What are your thoughts on the Canada's best player? I think the reason I was so excited about this pod was because I knew you were also super high on Shea. Um, and it feels like we've every time it seems like when he either gets hurt or sits out, we kind of forget just how good he really is. Um, and I think he's like the NBA's best kept secret almost from like the casual fan who just watches ESPN and isn't really on Twitter. Um just the way he drives, as you said, I remember your piece you wrote a few months ago. It's snake-like, the way he like can contort his body and the way he moves. He's one of the most flexible players in the league. Um, and I really do think, like, I don't know how future-wise how they plan on shaping it, but like I think he can be a, a superstar, um, 27 points per game kind of guy. Uh, he averaged, I think, 
either 29 point something or hit 30 post all-star break. Um, it's the way he just comes every year and adds something new to his game. Um, I think the thing obviously that hurts him is, yeah, he, he's playing here. We're not really winning. Um, and that does affect him in terms of his perception amongst like fans who don't watch every game. Um, and I can't blame people for not watching those games. Um, but like, I, as I'll say to those people, like in his second year, he was the leading scorer for a uh, fifth seed. Um, and obviously, and I think that guy was just half the player he is today. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. When we think about Shagilx Alexander, a lot of people think just, Oh yeah. Oh, in Oklahoma city doing his thing but what's really happening is that if you pay attention this is one of the rarest players that has come into the league in the past of of his generation the best driver of all time stuff if you want to get into the statistics you can get into the statistics the volume of drives the amount of pressure he brings to the rim how he scores out of them it's basically unprecedented but then if you want to get into the aesthetics of how he achieves that he is impossibly quick on his first step, impossibly quick on his second step, and the strength in his legs to decelerate, change course. And the handle to support all those movements creates this fantastical player. And on top of that, the shot making is there. Now, it has kind of come and gone as far as his stuff off the dribble. Some of that three-point shooting that the year he should have been an all-star, Mike Conley was instead. That was wrong. We can all agree on that. But the year where that three-point shot, the pull-up stuff was really popping off, paired with all of the the driving skills and all that kind of stuff, last year came back down to earth a little bit. I'm curious what you think about how the pull-up jump shot figures into his ceiling as that guy, as you say, could be around 27, 30 points per game when we're looking at the the peak of his performances. I think it's there. Um, I don't think it's, uh, as you were talking, I was trying to find the stat. I had screenshotted before this because that 1920 season was or 2021 season it was one of like i know it was only 35 40 games he played but it was one of the best self creation stretches we've ever seen in, like statistically um whether like that's my biggest thing with him is like whenever we want to argue it like the statistics support those claims um i do think obviously it was a bit of an outlier he shot 41% from 3 um the the shooting was amazing this season i think the biggest reason for the dip was the level of degree of difficulty, the shot variance, um, the shot perception. You saw him trying new things, which was kind of always like my slight gripe with him was that like, I wanted him to shoot some of those higher difficult shots. I think these are like the years for development. These are the years to try those type of things out. And you saw that a lot this year. Um, Cause I think we all can agree. Like Shea isn't a 29% shooter from outside. Um, he's more probably around 37, 38. And I think the biggest thing for the off the dribble for him um, is really the step back. Um, the way he attacks it in mid-range and he's able to use it because the defender is so scared of him just driving past them. Um, that's the biggest thing for me. And the way whenever he does go off the dribble and how you said his first and second step is so fast, but those elongated strides he has whenever he's driving to the rim, it I don't know why. it's I've been on this for like a year and a half now. It's almost Manu-esque for me, just how long mm. those strides are um, and the way he's able to shift his body. And so I think those are the two biggest things. Um, the thing I kind of want to see more from him is to attack closeouts just because of how rarely we do see him uh, playing off ball. And like when now that he's playing with Josh, he's going to have to be off ball more. And we only saw that one game of them like actually not playing like the my turn, your turn basketball. And in that game, Shea was 
just, I mean, he was tilting the defense all night long. Um, and it was like, I think very much Josh can help make his life easier in that sense to where Shea doesn't have to work so hard for these baskets. Because I mean, statistically, I know, I don't know last season, but 19 or 2021 season, I'm sorry. They had the worst spacing in the NBA, uh, according to B-ball index, which is like, whenever you consider what Shea did in that season, it's remarkable. What you bring up about taking advantages instead of creating them. This is something that is not intuitive for a lot of players. Uh, Steph Curry has made it infinitely cooler. LeBron James made it infinitely cooler, both of those guys, to be good off ball, to be active and not to do everything from a standstill on your own creation. But guys like Shea, guys like Trey Young, these impossibly talented creators do need to, once they start having dreams of playing championship-level basketball, have to extend advantages, really punch through gaps, and make quick decisions instead of letting the ball rest in their hands and then starting from zero again. And Shea, definitely, that's something that he's going to have to, you know, comport himself to Oklahoma City as they as they grow going forward. But I think that's, that's really insightful that you bring that up. Um, the three-point shooting, 37 38%, I'm not sure where it's going to end up. I'm not sure if he's going to be one of like the Darius Garland or Tyrese Halliburton type younger guards whose step back is just a wonderful way to attack switches. Of course, he doesn't have the limitations. They do as drivers. He's, you know, the best driver in the NBA. But it's it's endlessly interesting to think about how he's going to develop. I two years ago, I was just raving about this guy. Evan, as you said, you liked bouncing around and and thank you for that. But I remember Evan and I debating about Conley versus Shea and PD Webb messaged me after watching the episode. He's like, um, he's like, yeah, I like the, the Shea idea. Just was disappointed you weren't arguing for top five MVP instead of, you know, an all-star spot. I was like, okay, yeah, like you can definitely lean towards that self-creation stuff. I was working the game where he was in Toronto and watching him And again, the spacing, not good. Mike Muscal hit a big three at the end. But watching him get into the paint, draw, you know, there's four four sets of feet in the paint. Him go up in the air, and he had two nutmeg assists while in motion, while navigating. And I was just thinking, like, I love watching players like Shea play the Raptors because it's such a hectic, crazy defense that it introduces new interpretations. Guys like, we see creators all the time play a certain style, play proactive, get to their spots, create the shots they want. And then the Raptors invert those principles and you get to see how the reactive playmaking is. And Shea was up here, man. He 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 didn't miss a beat. So before we continue talking about the the Thunder and all that kind of stuff, the inventive, interesting Raptors, I'm curious what you think of that team from the outside looking in. Okay, so I think, first of all, one of my favorite teams to watch. Um, I think you have a ton of these jumbo creators is what they're aiming at um a team that very much i think did way better than everyone thought they would this past season um but also a team i think that's been having to battle a lot of injuries um and it's not made them inconsistent as a team as a whole but i think made them inconsistent individually as in it's next man up and then guys can't really catch a rhythm um I wrote it down here. I know the 2020 season was, or the no fan season was just injury riddle of the year. You guys got uh, Scotty, but like Pascal this past season, only 68 games, OG 48, Fred 65. Like those are just, and then the year prior, it's very similar. Um, And that's kind of, I think the biggest thing for them is because if they can stay healthy, I mean, 
with the way Nick Nurse coaches, the super intense, like psychopath kind of in a good way, psychopath, um, who's having these guys play 40 minutes a game. Um, that's a team that like, I think is upper half of the Eastern conference in terms of playoff picture. Uh, this past year, those guys were in, uh, fighting injuries and in what was the fifth seed this year, I think, right? Fourth seed. Um, the Raptors. I, oh, yeah. Uh, they were the, the fifth. Yeah. yeah fifth. Fifth seed. Yeah. Um, and just imagine, say, if OG plays 55 games even instead of 48. I know it's only seven games, but like those few games, they were only three games back from the fourth seed for home court advantage and then five games back for the one seed. Um, I think that's a team right there that like can play. I think the defense is the biggest like thing for me. I think that's how they win their basketball games. I'm a fan of the offense. I think it's free flowing. Um, I would just like to see some more like on ball actions, I think, because I, I think there is a bit of a limitations just for now as in terms of guys who can self-create. Um, and I do think some like on ball action would help. Um, and then Scotty is just, he's amazing. I think he, he'll be fine long-term wise in terms of self-creation. I think that jumped his development the past like three years. I mean, development's not linear, but like you can't help but think like, oh my goodness, what's this guy going to look like in year two and year three or, and then even in year five, right. When he's about to hit his prime. So anytime someone expresses a love or an interest for Scotty, it behooves me because fans love to hear about this kind of stuff is what, what is your vision of Scotty in the future? What, what does that player look like to you? I think borderline superstar, um, top 15 guy in the NBA. Uh, I think the biggest things for him, I, he just all of his question marks in terms of shooting, uh, Reactive passing, I think, is the biggest biggest thing for me with him, or more in terms of like connector type of passing, um, those type of things. Because I was really high on that coming in, and then we didn't see it a ton this year. But then we also saw a lot of things that we weren't expecting. Um, but I do think like I think the shooting will vary has a good chance of being average, just because like I hate to like fall into the narratives of like oh he's a really hard worker and stuff like that because I think all of these guys are really hard workers but I think like there are maybe levels to it and I do think Scotty's in that upper tier level of it where like I definitely would bet on him just succeeding in terms of those question marks um but I think the biggest thing for me is his this may be a weird one but I've always been fascinated with it is like playmaking out of the post um yep. this year you saw him a lot take advantage of playing in the post because they weren't doubling him. He's so good at being able to tell like where the guy, defender is on his back. Um, I don't know if there's an exact term for that, but he's like so good at it. Um, and so I'm interested just to see how whenever he does get doubled or he can't score, how he is able to hit a cutter. He is able to find someone across the court, stuff like that. So the term for knowing where the other guys is, is now a meme on NBA Twitter, proprioception, right? Where things are relative okay, in yeah. space to you. And uh, it's kind of it's one of those nerd terms. It's a good term. It makes sense yeah. for what you're saying. But uh, NBA Twitter doesn't like it currently. Maybe, maybe in a couple of years it'll come into the the lexicon. But let's let's change lanes. You talked about Giddy moving Shea off ball, and I'm really curious because I've had conversations with people who think Shea becomes the off ball guy, and to me that that makes me furrow my brow honestly like that that that's revolting to me the idea of moving Shea off ball a lot now Shea has to be off ball sometimes you can't just run a guy into the ground but i'm curious what you think of that dynamic we don't really have a precedent set for somebody having two 
players like Shea and like Giddy and how they, you know, formatted that pairing to success. But I'm curious if you have an idea of how you'd like to see that shake out. So this is one I've struggled with and kind of flip-flopped throughout the season. Um, I was high on Josh coming in, uh, had him top eight-ish on my big board, but I also never thought he'd be this big of an on-ball guy. I very much like, I thought he was the ultimate connecting prospect. I didn't think this would even be a question mark and then two months into the season. And then you saw how he did without Shea that month of February. Um, I think the biggest thing is that, maybe like 60% Shea has it, 40% Josh. I think that's one thing a lot of people have been freaking out about is like that, oh, Shea's just going to be this complete off-ball player. No, we just want Josh, this 28% three-point shooter, to be completely off-ball. Um, and I, there was back in February, they asked Shea about it, and Shea was like, oh, it's not my plan A. And everyone, you know, everyone lost their minds. Um, and that was like, oh, this is going to be a long night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I do think it's one of those things that like this is such a big year for them where they are going to have to learn how to play with each other like that. Um, I think it come kind of comes back to like the broad view of like OKC's like Sam Presti's philosophy on how he wants this team to play where it's these five high field basketball players who can dribble the basketball, who are reactive passers, proactive passers, um, five guys who can attack closeouts and do all these different things. Um, I do think in the end – especially based off Shea's second half performance this year. I remember I told a buddy, I was like, I think this is when Shea like officially makes himself like untouchable to the front office to where it's like, Oh, this guy's a superstar. And I think the way he played, I do think Shea will be like the majority guy who has the ball in his hands. Um, even the one game where they said like they tried implementing them to where they played like real basketball on offense was the first game after all-star break. And like, you could tell they tried doing things. Um, I think Josh did have more touches than Shea, but it did feel like Shea still, had the ball in his hands he still very much got his isolation self-creation possessions that he wanted um but i do it's it's a valid question mark and i do think that down the road it's gonna have to work like josh's swing skill on offense will be how to shoot um but i do think one thing people don't talk enough about like josh was a really good cutter this year um he was i think for a rookie i think he was the second best rookie cutter behind franz who was just amazing yeah um i think he was in like the 40th or like top 40th percentile, which I mean, that's upper half of the league, but for a rookie, I'll take it. Um, his cord mapping abilities were there, stuff like that. We didn't see it a ton from Shea. Um, and I, I wonder if with Shea, a lot of it is on purpose where we didn't see a lot of off ball actions ran for him or anything like that. Um, and it, it raised my question marks a little in terms of like, is that on purpose or what? You don't see him as much of a, you see him as a proactive cutter at times, whether it's to get a defender out of the way, stuff like that. He's not a big reactive cutter. Um, but I do think some of that stuff is kind of overblown just because it, it flirts, I think, with the narrative thing of like, oh, this guy labeling someone bad whenever it's like he carries this huge offensive load and then asking him to like, all right, I want you to be super active on offense, on off ball offense too, and on defense. Mm -hmm. Like that's why I'm one of my biggest things with Shea is like he has all the tools. And I mean, even in the Canada games this summer, we've seen like he was an active defender. And like I'm not gonna lose my mind and be like he's a bad defender because he's not very engaged when the team's winning 25 games a year. There's a there's a future I think that you could look at where you watch how slinky Shea is, um, long and very very like his athleticism has immense utility there, there's some athleticism that is like demar Derozan is somebody who raptors fans will remember keep kept getting this massive tagline is this athletic monster but really 
uh, the athleticism that DeMar had was he was a really good one foot leaper, but he had a really, really slow shell time. He had a really slow first step. He couldn't break into the defense by like just beating a guy with quickness. Shea has all the utility as far as athleticism. Imagine at the point of attack, a guy who can slink around screens is super long and is bursty from any position he occupies. There's, there's tons of stuff there. I also love that you brought up the difference between touches and usage. Giving a guy a lot of touches, and Raptors fans will understand this through the lens of Scotty versus Pascal maybe, is kind of like touch time, something that you can look up on NBAstats.com. But giving a guy a lot of touches means that maybe you're giving him a lot of reads rather than a lot of responsibility to create. And so giving a guy like Giddy, who's a really great passer, sees the floor really well and has height, those touches, those could be in a lot of the intermediate set actions where it's running through his hands and he's making quick decisions in case you have like quick hitters and stuff like that, which I think is a great way to um, occupy defenses and especially use him instead of relying on, you know, teams kind of sagging off of him as far as being, you know, not a great shooter at this point in his career. It's a good way to make sure that teams have to pay attention to him is just load him up with touches. We see, obviously, Miami does this with Bam. Uh, is a really great thing. So Chet is injured. That was the worst thing to see. The Thunder have been um, tanking, for sure. They do draw the ire of fans league-wide. And some people who have a vested interest in Shea's development as well. But when we look at the Thunder, I've seen you post about this before, how there's like a misconception on what they're doing. I know you feel strongly about this. So the ire that is thrown, people are upset with the Thunder. They're ruining careers. They're they're not letting Shea develop. They're keeping him down. They're, they're resting him when he's healthy. Like all this kind of stuff. Imagine I throw the kitchen sink at you. I'm curious, what is your defense... And show us the light on the the path that the Thunder are walking. Um, first of all, I think like we all know what's going on in Oklahoma City. Um, Sam Presti <laughs> said it himself. At, Sam Pre- Sam Presti said it himself at the end of the season, like press conference. He was like, "Everyone knows what's going on here." Um, but I do think it's taken over this. It, in in terms of like the backlash, I do think it comes with like you've kind of made yourself, even if you're not like doing it the worst in the league, you've kind of made yourself the poster boy for it, um, mm-hmm. and that that just comes along with it. Um, but like, I will say just the simple stuff is like, I mean, for second year in a row now there, they don't have the worst record in the league. Um, they were past two years. They're actually the fourth worst. Like there are three teams who are actively worse than them. Um, and then I think I had some quotes written down, but this one is my favorite all time quote from Asayu Jerry. Um, it was after last year, it was in the press conference and he said, I tweeted this immediately and I, I got some hate from Raptor fans. Um, but I was like, <laughs> he said, this is all about winning championships again. Let me tell you guys some, something guys, everybody has forgotten what has happened here two years ago. Okay. Yes, we won. Nobody cares anymore. We want to win another one. That's what we want to do. You want to prepare yourself to win another one, not to play in the playing game not to play in the playoffs. You want to win a championship. Everybody's like, why won't you get in the play-in? Play-in for want. We want to win a championship here. Um, And I think that's always my biggest thing. Um, You know, and I know you kind of get into like groggy water whenever you say, okay, well, in every year there's what, only like five, six teams that have legitimate chances to win a championship. Then what does everyone else want to do? But you want to put yourselves in that position. Um, and like, yes, Oklahoma City could trade their picks right now. And but in reality, you're probably making yourself a middle tier team 
um, probably not much better than Utah has been the past few years. And people for years have been saying Utah should break it up. And so it's like one of those, like, you can't win uh, type of things. It's a lose-lose situation. Um, I, I, I just quite frankly, like don't fully buy into the, their purposely like faking injuries thing. Um, I do like, yes, this year they agreed him, Shea in Oklahoma city agreed like the last eight games to just sit him out. Um, but he legitimately rolled his ankle pretty disgustingly in February. Um, the plantar fasciitis, like he missed Canada basketball that summer. Um, Darius Baisley in February of last year, they told us it was a, uh, bruised shoulder he ended up breaking like some bone in his shoulder like they weren't very honest about it Lou Dort um all those type of things like I I understand it I I just think it's very much become a a narrative thing instead of a true real thing but I I also say and I tweeted this after the draft lottery your teams are incentivized to lose and like it works like it, it works um they got the number two pick and like whenever you're a small market where everything is everything is tilted against you. You have to make the odds somehow kind of closer to the middle. Um, so I, and in the end of the day, I don't think they're really harming anyone's uh, development. I do think they're more harming people's development in terms of getting so many prospects. I think more than anything, that's more of a harm than the actual tanking that's going, excuse me, going on. Um, but yeah, like this one, I was very excited to talk about just because I do think like it's not as anytime an injury does happen, like even when Josh Giddy got hurt, um, that people were like, oh, they're tanking. A rookie does not impact winning that much. Like it, there are exceptions to the rule, of course, but it, usually they don't. Um, there was even some with Chet and I was like, I promise you, Sam Presti is not happy about his rookie, mm-hmm. his number two pick missing the whole season. Um, like that was a doomsday scenario. So like, I do think there's like, it, it sucks. Cause this is the thing. Like, this is what, like, I hate after winning a game late in, uh, April, whenever I'm like, Oh, we just dropped a thing. Like that should, I should be happy that these like 18, 19 year old guys just went out and won a basketball game. Like whenever we beat Phoenix, like that was a big win for a lot of those like G league guys that we signed. But like, it, this is like how the NBA, NBA incentivizes it, which sucks. But like, that's the system, right? Like you have, you have to play by the rules. These are like the, these are businesses at the end of the day. These teams want to be good. Um, and quite frankly, my biggest fear is Oklahoma City one day in my lifetime relocating. Um, so whatever they can do to have a decent basketball team out there eventually is like my biggest thing. Um, and like the biggest thing is Sam Presti has said it. He sent, he wrote a big long op-ed in the newspaper right after the Paul George and Russell Westbrook trades. And he pretty much told everyone what's coming, like what's going to happen, what they're doing. And the biggest thing is like for sustained success. Like, yes, we didn't win a championship last time, but I mean, Oklahoma city year in and year out was one of the best teams in the league. And you got to see world-class talents in the state that has no professional sports. Um, I think like that stuff like that, I think truly matters. And so I think that's like the biggest thing for me is sustained success. Like I don't want to sit there and be good for three, four years. And then you have to blow it up because eventually like you, you Shay knows like the plan according to Sam and Shay and them. But like, I think a guy like Shay is like, okay, Hey, three years will be bad. But then like the goal is to contend. We're going to push in the chips eventually, blah, blah, blah. Or we can push in some chips right now but we're six, seven seed every year. And then like, that's how guys become disgruntled, you know, like look at Utah, they have Donovan Mitchell, who's only a year older than Shea and they had to move him. Like that's the last thing I want to do right now. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me for tanking is like, yes, there are some teams that like 
Toronto, you guys never had to tank these past few years, other than last uh, the 2021 season. Like Fred broke through, Pascal broke through. Like that's that's just you have to have skill in terms of your GM and your assistant GM doing the right things, but also have some luck break your way. And like Oklahoma City got some luck with like Lou Dort, but like you have to. There's a lot of things that fall into place to have a good team year in and year out. And like, these are, this is just one of the biggest ways to optimize that. Not everyone can be LA where they don't make the playoffs for a decade or however long it was. And then Mm -hmm. the greatest player in the world just walks through their doors. That's a, a minute basketball that Lewis and I did was too big to fail. And I got to compare the, the 2008, you know, housing banking crisis with uh, the Lakers is like, you know, you can't, you can't fail when that can come your way. And, you know, uh, Toronto doesn't hasn't had that benefit yet as far as being a market where players come out of and want to return to. We haven't seen that. Corey Joseph is not moving the needle. My apologies, Corey Joseph. <laughs> but is and, and Oklahoma City is the, the exact same thing. Like, uh, is Blake one of, at least in however many recent years, is he maybe the most, I guess, famous guy who had ties there? And then, you know, like even he didn't have... I don't remember seeing anything that was like, oh, yeah, he's going to come back or like Trey with like the Sooners or whatever, anything like that. I haven't seen anything of of that sort. The thing I do want to ask you, though, is you brought up a really great point. There's a huge conversation that probably we can't really have, which is, you know, there, there has to be thesis papers written on it. It's like, what does winning year over year do for development? We can't really have that, but we can have the conversation that you were kind of just hovering around is stockpiling guys and then guys lose minutes guys don't have an avenue to playing time and we know you have to play to get better like we know that much at least so whether it's like maladone trey man roby Baisley, whatever are there guys you're worried about on the roster being disaffected by this stockpiling of talent yeah um guy you named uh teo maladone um still a guy that i'm pretty i don't want to say high on but i still think he's an nba player um i think they've done a good job where they oklahoma city's done a really good job actually of just optimizing their g league team um there's guys playing in the g league on the blue every night from the thunder um i think the biggest thing especially we saw this year with teo was he went to the g league and this year he was just too good for the g league i mean he was mm-hmm. putting up 27 a game and was getting to the line true shooting was like uh, out out of this world. Um, and then, but he gets, then he gets to the NBA and his minutes are limited. They do reward him for some, and especially Teo, someone like Teo, who um, PD said it perfectly. He has Academy brain where like, he just doesn't take risks. He wants to do the right thing every play. And slowly you see, okay, yep. His minutes are cutting down, cutting down, cutting down toward it's just gone. Um, and so I think that's like him, Vit Kretschy, those guards, especially at the end of the rotation. Um, like I, I think at this point, they're probably both getting cut, which really sucks. Um, and I think that's the worst part about this type of reboot is like every year they're going to have a revolving door of just prospects coming in and coming out. Um, and I think they are going to find different ways of being able to at their be- the best of their abilities, maximize those guys' development. But in reality, I don't think we're even getting close to maximizing it. Um, but it's also, it's tough. Like a guy like Teo, he led the whole team in minutes um, during the 2021 season. Sorry. Um, and then this year, greatly underperformed uh, the first two months of the season. We're shooting like 10% from three. Uh, according to Mark Dagnold, he just got too jacked over the offseason. Um, 
And so he went down, he got his minutes cut, went to the G League. And the G League was like, he was aggressive. You're like, oh, wow, you saw some athleticism that he wasn't really showing uh, in the NBA. Came back, had some good games, but then it went right back to the same old thing. Um, And I think that's where it gets tough because obviously like someone like Tim Maladone, he's a really good, he has the ball in his hands. He can kind of pass well, create for others, really smart player. But you have Josh Gideon, Shea on the court. Why are you? Why would Teo mm-hmm. take those reps from them? And so that's where you get into these like very thin ice, and it gets difficult. Um, and so like the, I think this year is probably the last year where like you see an influx of prospects. They only have one pick next year, um, and after that you may see some more picks move stuff like that. But it, it's it's hard. Um, I know they got a lot of backlash this past draft because they drafted. Usman Jang and Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, two guys who have on-ball chops, and a lot of people were upset about that. And I do think like we have to be able to differentiate a guy's role before they come into the league, and then when they are in the league, because um, I think a guy like Usman would be a great like connector, three and D type of guy. And then Jalen Williams, I mean, every off-ball metric supported him being a good pick as an off-ball guy, and we saw a lot of that in the in summer league. Um, so it, it's one of those things I think that comes back to their philosophy of like wanting to get guys who like can dribble, pass, do all the right things. Sam Presti has like long admired the way the Spurs do things, and I do think like he always kind of wanted that, but then like you had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So like you can't, you know, it, it, there's exceptions to the rule. Um, and so I think that's just coming back to that. It's just, it kind of just sucks, especially because like I, I get a lot of flack on my Twitter. Cause I'm like very pro player, like in terms of like these right. guys' developments and also the just proper like, stance, by the way. Yeah. Like the way I see it is like, these guys should be in college, you know, like, Poku or like Teo, like these, those two guys moved across the world in the middle of a pandemic. No one here who speaks their language, no one they know, they're by themselves without their families. Like that's tough. Like that's very tough. And then you expect them to go out and perform super well on the court and then get mad when they don't. It's just like, it's, it's, it's very thin ice with that type of stuff to me. And so it, it's difficult. Um, and I do think it sucks. Like I do think there is some like, I would cry like there's a lot of people upset about Isaiah Roby. Isaiah Roby, awesome guy. I think he's an NBA player, but like that's not a guy that like when a roster crunch comes along. Um, I think the outcry was very similar to when Jafi got cut from the Raptors. Like I was a bit caught off guard by like a lot of the people that were upset about Jafi Makaiwu getting cut. Like that's a good, he's a good guy. He's an NBA player, but like it's not a guy that like there's a reason those guys get cut. You couldn't trade them. So you had to make roster crunch type of moves. And I think that's just a prime example of that type of stuff. So you talked at the front end of the podcast about loving the Raptors and kind of their play style and everything like that. I don't think that the Thunder, of course they have Shea and Shea is a, you know, a play style unto himself. He's going to create looks for people, but I don't think that the Thunder have curated a very strong culture or a very strong play style. I'm curious when you look at, let's assume, maybe not for this year, you you can focus in on this year, you can do more macro and out into the future, but when you consider guys like Chet, Giddy, Shea, whoever else you want to incorporate into that, what what type of play style do you want to see from them? And since we've talked more so about, I guess, the uh, the offensive side with Shea and Giddy, maybe this can be more Chet-centric. And defensively, what do you want to see this team do? Defensively, I think 
just exactly what they did last year um, before everyone got shut down. They were a top 10 team in defensive rating. The way they were able, I think that's the biggest thing with Mark Dagnall as well. Is like He's very much preaching defense. Um, Trey Mann, who is one of the most fun guys on the team, Like even though the shot may not fall, when he gets the ball, like he just kind of makes you giggle whenever he just does stuff because mm-hmm. it's absurd. Um, I think the biggest thing with Ched was like, that was so encouraging was, okay, you have your defensive engine, you have your rim protector in year two of the rebuild. And then for him to go down, it kind of, now you get kind of frustrated. You don't really know what you want from them, um, especially on offense. Cause I think OKC for years has, they love delay action. I mean, they love it. They love having a big up there. You saw with Steven Adams for years. Um, saw when Nick Collison on like backdoor passes um, and they love quick pistol actions. I think that's the biggest thing with me and Mark Dignold is like, the past few years, Oklahoma City has very much lacked self-creation other than from Shea um, and then this past year from Trey. And he's done a really good job at like putting guys in advantageous positions. Um, you see a lot of just a simple Iverson cut and it gets the defender on the back hip of Teo Maladone on some place. Um, they love having Josh come off uh, pistol action on Miami and uh, they ran Miami or no, they ran Chicago in two game-winning plays uh, against LA and Golden State, I'm pretty sure. Um, and those type of position plays where like, you can get the guy running downhill, have the defender on his hip, and that's when like Josh is the most dangerous because he does struggle, obviously. He's so stiff, which is hilarious because he's like the complete opposite of Shea in terms of body movement. He's just the most stiffest guy in the league, and they have the most flexible guy in the league. Um, and I do think like they want this free-flowing type of offense that's quick a lot of actions on the wings in terms of like pistol and chicago um there's i do want to see some more like spain pick and roll with shea there's been a few plays where he's set the back pick but i want to see him pop out and like actually get the ball um but in terms of just like their play style i just think this free-flowing offense of guys who are like i've said a few times like high field guys um just some other connector pieces like Jalen Williams from Santa Clara is like the guy I'm most excited about. Um, Just an unreal uh, wingspan, like a guy I think they're going to try to play like some small ball at small ball four. Um, And then defensively, I think a team that just lengthwise is there. uh, It's, it's kind of difficult right now with Josh because of he's not the best defender. They had to put him on the weak side a lot this season and hide him. Um, but I do think he was a good help defender. And I think once you see Shea kind of get involved, it's really going to get interesting. Um, Darius Baisley is one of the interesting ones because I think there were very much stretches in the season last year where he was the best defender on the team. Um, I think he. I think at the end of the day, he's just a long-term role player. So who knows if he's here when they're like fully contending. Um, but I, it's, it's intriguing. And then Lou Dort, obviously, I think that's a – he's got that dog in him. Um, I hate, I hate saying it. I hate saying it. Cause it's like the most basic level of like, but just a guy who really does like he, Kobe talked about in one of his detail videos about like guys who are like able to get so low when going around screens because of their center of gravity, where they're able to cause these offensive fouls. And like, that's exactly how what lose it. He gets himself like in between the ball handler and the screener. And the amount of times where they uh, they get a offensive foul call on it is ridiculous. Um, he I think he's had like he has like forty I think last season or something like that. Someone I forgot who someone on Twitter tracks them every time it happens. Uh, but overall, I think a team that's able to just whoever gets the board run out, um, play free flowing, and just stop with like the stagnant basketball that was very much a problem I think in the prior like 
types of Oklahoma City Thunder basketball teams. Um, and I mean, I think that's going to be a problem until they're able to fully set in there. My biggest question mark with the team will be this year and has been is just self-creation. I don't think there's enough of guys who can actually dribble the basketball, put it down and go do something for themselves um, other than like Shea and Trey. But it, it's interesting to see how it works. Um, I, I do think I'm interested to see how Shea develops as like an interior passer. Um, there's a stat someone sent to one of our group chats. It was like Shea passed the ball 388 times when he got into the paint. Only 34 of them were interior passes. Um, and I think that's like his biggest improvement as a guy in terms of pick and roll or just any type of passing, which, I mean, we saw some really good pick and roll passes from him this summer from in team Canada, which is like, it's, I know it's just FIBA in the grand scheme of things. It probably doesn't matter a ton, but it's, it's, it's very exciting to see a guy even attempt those when you didn't see him attempt that a ton the past two seasons. So a few things after all you said, a couple. So yes, um, Josh Giddy when he drives, it looks like a whirling dervish of knees and elbows. It is, it's grimy, dude. It's crazy. Uh, secondly, Baisley, I'm waiting for a swing skill. Uh, he's very, his movement is very clearly quite special for his size. And if the passing really pops off or if the shooting gets to a place, even in the corner where he can generate, you know, closeouts, because when he puts that ball down and he's headed towards the rim, it's it's quite special. His footwork is really great. He's very explosive. And and lastly, Shea, the interior passing, that is where that Raptors game I found to be quite uh, inf informative because it was really great interior passing because the Raptors are the one team that will open up gaps on the interior and will be swarming the outside. You know, it doesn't happen very often. And I am wondering, as you say, the spacing is terrible. Where are the obvious reads for Shea to to pass out? Then, yeah. if the if it's cramped, I'm once he, I have dreams for Shea, man, to play in a spaced out offense. I have dreams, so I'm curious to see how much of that is development on his end, and then where the opportunity to uh, play in a more spaced out uh, a system affords him those, I guess, uh, reads as well. No, yeah, um, I think one thing with Shea's interior passing as well is he hasn't really given the best bigs other than from the Al Horford year. Um, it's, I can't get mad at the guy for uh, not passing it to Derek favors who looks like a shell of himself. Um, yeah. Hopefully Derek doesn't see this. He blocks people on Twitter. I apologize, <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's what I think was so exciting about this season was like, Oh wow. We're going to be able to have Chet on the outside. Um, I know Lou Dort's numbers are still like flirting with, if you look at the numbers, you don't think he's a good shooter. I do think a lot of that has to do with like his shot selection, degree of difficulty. I think once they like reel him back in into like a set role, I think the shooting numbers will go up. And so like I was actually very excited. I was like, wow, I can only like imagine what he's going to do this year in terms of spacing and going to the rim. Um, and so I think that's like the saddest part for me was like the, the develop. Chet would have helped Josh and Chase so much with their development mm -hmm. in terms of just pick and roll, pick and pop, stuff like that. And it also would have made it a lot easier for Josh and Shay in terms of playing together. I think they would have, it would have been a lot more seamless of a fit. And now it's, it, it still is a difficult fit, but like they've, they've gone to know each other for a year. They just haven't like played real, uh, structured basketball together it was very much your turn my turn and they they admitted that as well um so i think that's like the biggest thing for me and just how like 
I would love, I would do anything. There was like two possessions all year where like Shea had this drive and then Josh cut, like made a 45 degree cut and like Shea just a little bounce pass pocket past him and Josh finished. And I was like, Oh, I just give me please two in two years. Just please. I I would die a happy man. I do. Yeah. There's lots of potential probably for, if you want to stagger them on the same side of the floor, there's like Wade cuts that can be made. And it does depend somewhat on, on Giddy and Shea, both of them finding a consistent three point shot, you know, catch and shoot is the, the baseline pull up allows them to do stuff with their own offense. But as far as how they work together, especially not having Chet as a connector piece between all that stuff is, is a tough um, loss. But before we get out of here, be it Raptors, be it Thunder. Is there anything you want to inform the viewer on? Um, nothing really. Just I promise you, before they uh, bef- first half of the season, just watch some Thunder games. It's very much. It's fun. I I enjoyed it. It's like the way I viewed it. It's very. Uh, in terms of whenever you see tanking teams or losing teams, it's a bunch of I think few young guys and then a ton of vets. And that's why they lose because the vets have no interest, but there is a bit of like, you know, the feel good story of like the guys who shouldn't be like the, they shouldn't be in the NBA, you know, and they're like working their butt off and they're like diving for loose balls. And there, there's something to it that I very much enjoy. It's a, it's a very, I remember the first time the thunder, like we're young, they called it thunder you. And like, now people are calling it like thunder U 2.0. And like, mm. it is, it's very much like a college esque team. Like it's fun. They have characters. It's, it's an enjoyable viewing experience. And Shay is a superstar and he's going to be an all-star this year. Um, I feel very confident about it. You had two guys leave the conference. I think it's going to come down to probably like him and Ant at the end of the year. Um, and I do think like Shay, he deserved it two years ago. Um, and I think this year's his time. Uh, I think the shooting will go back up. I do think the the points per game will go up as well. Um, it's I'm I'm just so excited for the season to start up. It's it is a bit frustrating in terms of Chet. Uh, it's just one of those like it is what it is scenarios or my profile picture. It's just I am sad. Um, but uh, other than that, I'm I'm really excited also to watch just the progression from Toronto. Shout out Gary Chen Jr. I'm honestly maybe the most excited about him. Uh, wow. But yeah. Dude, I don't know why. Uh, unreal shooter, and then I think the defense really, uh, the leap he made this year was like I was very caught off guard. I still think there's some stuff in terms of point of attack that could improve. But if we see even just a hint of like on-ball stuff from him, some improvement there, I mean, like that trade still like to this day I think was a – I think that was, Toronto won. It was an amazing trade. In my opinion, I know Norman Powell's a, a loved guy in Toronto, but like that was, and then on the contract he's on, like for sixteen million, uh, yeah, big Gary Trent guy, big Gary Trent guy. Mike Prada had uh, he kind of wanted him to work on craft and manipulation, like Chris Middleton, mm-hmm. and despite not having the length or height that Chris Middleton does, I see a lot of wisdom in that because Raptors fans oftentimes comp Gary to explosive scoring guards when Gary achieves nothing through explosion, quite literally nothing through explosion, all craft, all shooting. And so manipulation coming off screens, little curls, pin downs, all that kind of stuff. Um, He had a stretch last season I wrote about where he averaged four assists per game. And it's basically because he was making good passing reads out of pin downs. And so um, I'm not, I'm probably lower on Gary than a large amount of people in Toronto. 
I, I really enjoy you expressing like optimism because if Gary keeps growing, that's it's just fantastic for the Raptors. So, Yosef, thank you so much for coming on, man, and lending your voice to the the Thunder aspect and letting us know what you think about the Raptors. No, dude, thank you for having me on. I had a blast. And if I can recommend to listeners on the podcast channel, viewers on the YouTube channel, Thunder Film Room, that's what it is on Twitter. It is a very easy way to just insert um, basically all the things you'll want to know about the Thunder into your sphere of media or whatever. And I think it's it's a popular account for a reason because Yosef pays close attention to the team, both on the interesting macro stuff that fans always pay attention to, but more of the in-the-weeds analysis stuff that analysts and you know nerds like us pay attention to so uh listener viewer whatever it is um go check them out on twitter and uh everybody thanks for tuning in there's way more of these to come there's a lot of them and uh yeah thanks for tuning in and we'll see ya <laughs>